This is Work the Case, a Criminal Minds legal podcast. Hey, um, so Hope, how does this unsub take their coffee? Oh, Christ. That's a great fucking question. With three sugars? God. (laughs) Okay, with that... (laughs) Welcome to Work the Case, a Criminal Minds legal podcast where we, two Criminal Minds superfans, look into the, basically the legal, let's call it consequences of an episode of Criminal Minds. Uh, I'm Lee. I'm Hope, the person who just genuinely thought that they had a whole scene about this unsub drinking coffee that I forgot about. <laughs> You're like, damn it, what, what, how do they take their coffee? And I'm yeah. just sitting here like, I'm here to make a terrible joke about our shared mental illness. Yeah, I was like, this wasn't written in my notes. It wasn't a legal question. God damn it. <laughs> no. Um, well, this week we don't have to go into the history of why we're making a podcast. So we can really kind of just get into stuff. Um, yeah, we can just raw dog it now. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this episode, episode two of Criminal Minds Compulsion is um, the team sent to Arizona. I think it's Tucson. Um, to a public university on a case involving a serial arsonist. Um, I think at least two people are dead at this point, which falls short of the legal requirement for three dead bodies for a serial killer. But this is an arsonist, so we don't have to care yet. Yes, there's also different issues like of a federal case. I think we forgot to do that last episode, too. Um, Like, we mentioned the requirements, but last episode it was like dumping the bodies Mm -hmm. across the border. This one, the reason the FBI is coming in is because since it's arson and it's a public university, the university, one, gets federal funds, and two, it probably falls under some anti-terrorism statute that they definitely cite in the episode. So, um, while investigating, the team discovers inconsistencies in the profile that eventually lead them to the conclusion that the unsub is not, in fact, an arsonist or a man. (laughs) (laughs) Which, this is like... This kills me. This is a plot twist in, like, at least several times a season, and it's always played as, like, the biggest plot twist ever. They're always like, women do crime? Whoa, we nev- we've never run into this before. We will in three months, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so this lady is, um, she's not an arsonist, actually. She's a serial killer, but her weapon of choice is fire. Um, and bombs. They don't talk about it a lot, but she used bombs. Like, like they say fire because that's, like, what she started at, but it's definitely a bomb thing. No, she's got, like, road flares attached to timers and shit. It's, like, MacGyver, but a crazy lady. Um, so the killer is discovered to be Clara Hayes. She is an obsessive, compulsive, religious fanatic with a focus on number three. She's also a... I don't remember if she's chemistry or physics, but she is... Chemistry. Yeah, she's a chemistry. They're working on, like, some big pro, Like, the three-body project, which I thought was a physics concept. But what do I know? Yeah, it's all STEM, you know? I'm not a chemical person. I'm, like, a, I'm not a chemist. I'm a journalist. <laughs> yeah, the only time I talked to STEM majors in undergrad was when I was getting them to fix my computer in exchange for favors. So, you know... Fun fact, I didn't even take a college physics class because I took environmental studies in high school and, like, tested out of a, a science requirement, so I'm I'm not good at science. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, so uh, Clara Hayes is um, attempting to, very much attempting to murder three of her classmates when Hotch uh, is able to shoot and then arrest her, um, preventing her from adding to her body count. By the way, this, this girl has, she killed like three people and then tries to get eight. Like, she's a hard worker. Yes. So let's go into the profile real quick. So um, they present very, very early in the episode the profile of your typical arsonist. So an arsonist, which is not a serial killer, an arsonist is defined by the fact that they light things on fire rather than they want to harm people with fire. Um, harming people is usually secondary to the primary paraphilia, which as we described in the first episode is a sexual compulsion to something that has, uh, danger, potential to kill, or involves lack of consent as a, like, point. So, uh, the paraphilia here would be fire, specifically, like, burning something to the ground, causing damage, or burning someone, which is harmful. Um, most arsonists really don't do it to burn people they do it to burn structures or property the primary motivations for arson are vandalism crime concealment political statement or revenge most arsonists are they are driven to fire because of what's called a stressor now in the show they define a stressor as like the reason the guy kills people but in like a psychological term a stressor is just any event that could cause um psychological distress or harm the typical arsonist would be a white male. Uh, generally, they profile as younger, so 20s to 30s or even younger than that. Like, juvenile arsonists are a thing. But an arsonist lacks confidence. They are socially inept. They struggle to connect with the opposite sex in particular. And they are motivated by sex or power. Now, here's the thing about criminal minds. They do not believe women can be motivated by sex. They do not. Like, it is never once. Like, they'll be like, this is obviously they're getting off. They're just jacking off every time they do this. And then it'll be revealed to be a woman, and they're like, no sexual component at all. There's no part of it at all. Impossible. There's never, like, a woman that, like, rapes any person as, like, unless she's trying to, like, avenge her dead son or something like that. Like, rape is yeah. always used as, like, a... It's never used as a sexual component. It's always used as, like, the power component. Yeah, like, it's never, ever, like, the fact that there can be female sadists or something. It's like, well, she couldn't possibly be getting off. She's a lady. Uh -huh. um, and so Clara Hayes kind of falls victim to that because, like, you know, where a typical arsonist would have problems connecting with people and be motivated by sex and power... She has, like, a bunch of weird friends, and, like, they like her, I guess? Like, they're, they like her, and also, I do want to say, every student in this fucking episode is the weirdest person on Earth. Like, they sit there and they go, here's how you turn a light bulb into a bomb, cop. It's weirdly confrontational. Yeah, like, the whole, the whole, like, the little lead student who, like, comes to the dean is like, we know how all these bombs were set off, which, like, you couldn't fucking pay me to do that to the dean of my school. <laughs> No, I'd never snitch like that. Yeah. Or not even snitching. Just like, I'd be like, wow, that is something I want a friend or an attorney to be holding my hand while I say. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, the moment that, the moment they walk into the room, everyone, like, everyone treats it like this is a normal conversation that they're having, despite the fact that the lead student walks up and he's like, I think, and he has a light bulb over his head, that they just filled this with gasoline and blew it up. Like, everybody knows how to do that. It's like, whoa! His whole attitude, by the way, towards Dr. Spencer Reed is, like, he doesn't uh -huh. say the word pussy but, <laughs> but he 
means it though. Yeah, it is in every every aspect of this character. I'm obsessed with these college students. I wish I could get drinks with these college students. Like until until they're literally locked in an elevator and nearly set on fire, they're always smirking and like mean. Yeah, like they have the full confidence of a professor who got tenure thirty years ago. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. But so Clara like apparently fits in with these people. Uh-huh. Yeah, at least enough to where when they're having their little powwow with the FBI. Like, she got invited. Yeah, she got invited. She's also explaining shit. So we're gonna, and they also know who she is and are, like, calling out to her when they're trapped in an elevator. They're like, oh, thank God, it's Clara. She can save us. Yeah, so, like, this can go to a bunch of other stuff that we'll discuss later in the episode, but it is wild. Yeah, um, I do, like, uh, this has, like, the TV show kind of thing on it where it's, like, she's batshit crazy until she's out with the girls and then she's completely normal like she's crazy enough where she literally can't control it and we will say that multiple times but none of her friends noticed yeah so let's like get into her psychology because she's a fascinating character so she has um obsessive compulsive disorder and this is the point in the show where uh, hey criminal minds um is very irresponsible when it comes to mental illness so um (laughs) obsessive compulsive disorder is i think it's a it's i think it's either i think it's cluster b um but it's like a mental disorder that is primarily described by compulsive thoughts or actions and there's a difference between impulsive and compulsive impulsive is like the impulse to do something uh it's usually characterized by lack of thought uh compulsive is uh it's an irrational thought process but it's it's a more thought out thing and it's a it's something that you can't really help so a lot of time OCD people and there are different types of OCD um she has one that's ritual based uh she has a compulsion for the number three so she has to do things three times this is not the standard case of OCD Uh, a lot of times tv shows make it seem like everybody who has OCD has to like turn the light switch on three times or they throw a fit um that's not entirely accurate for most people OCD is mostly a disorder that's characterized by compulsive thoughts um and intrusive thoughts too I was gonna say I can give an example so I'm taking a psychiatry in the law class right now and so our professor will give examples and one of the examples for OCD he gave is he had a patient who while he was driving would become convinced he had hit and killed someone like no evidence for it there wouldn't be like a speed bump or a pothole he would just be driving and in this one specific stretch of road would just be convinced like I hit someone and killed them and so would have to circle back to like make sure which like okay like you wouldn't think that would be too debilitating you're just circling back but when you're on your way to work and you may or may not be running late and you have to circle back three and four times because you are a good person and are genuinely convinced you just killed someone and left them on the side of the road that becomes debilitating intrusive thoughts are one of the primary cause like one of the primary symptoms for ocd so you know i killed somebody with my car would be an intrusive thought Uh, the compulsion is going back to check multiple times so intrusive thoughts uh you and i are not really a stranger to i in particular suffer from them a lot the point of the matter is people that have ocd are much less likely to be perpetrators of crimes they're more likely to be victims of crime that's true for most disorders especially mental disorders especially schizophrenia especially schizophrenia was what i was about to say um people who suffer from mental illness are much more likely to be a victim to a crime or be victim of abuse particularly in the prison system rather than they are to be a criminal um so you know when we talk about the fact that she has ocd 
that's not the reason that she is a serial killer. The show would like you to think that, but it's... Yes. So we will talk about it, um, but just know that when we talk about, like, oh, you know, she... When we say stuff like, oh, she's batshit crazy, like, that's that's what the profilers are basically telling you out loud. Uh we, we are not prejudiced against people with mental illness. Yeah, that is also something that Criminal Minds tries to do, like, both within this episode, but also generally, where they try and act like they're super sympathetic towards this character and their illness. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's points where Hotch is like, no, that this is an irresistible compulsion, it is a physiological issue. She doesn't want to be doing this. Like, and yeah, like, that's true with people with OCD, right? Like, nobody wants to be circling back three and four times. That's why they're yeah. going to the doc. The fact, like, the, having your character say that does not negate the fact that you're painting people with this illness in this light and, like, perpetrating these tropes. And it doesn't help the fact that, like, later on, Derek is like, she's crazy, like, the whole time, you know? Yeah. You can say, you can say as many times as you want, like, oh, like, like, it's not her fault, but when one of your characters is like, she lives in a witch house, um. Look, she has pa- newspaper taped to the wall. That's, that's only crazy behavior. Um. <laughs> But yeah, no, so she she has obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD. Um, her focus is religion and um, the number three, so number three being an important number for many religions. So her compulsory behavior is to do things in threes. So, you know, set off three fires, have three bombs to detonate the fire, stuff like that. Yeah, it's also connected to threes. She does it on, like, Tuesday at 3 p.m., which is the third day of the week at 3.03 p.m., yeah, or, like, their room is, like, 333. Three, three. Like, basically, she will see the number three or, like, a three in a set of threes and be like, I have to test, th- like, God has to test them like God tested me. Yeah, so, and the way that she was tested was when she was, I think, six years old. Uh, there was a fire at her house, and she managed to survive miraculously. Um, and her mom said that she was test by- tested by God, and she passed. So that that started a lifelong mental illness um it's always the mom's fault it's always the mom's fault like that bitch um (laughs) (laughs) obsessive compulsive can be a trauma response so i mean they've got that right like you know the most common trauma responses in terms of mental disorder are ptsd ocd and bpd that's just where the pieces land so that was her original stressor her most current stressor is she is fucking failing all of her classes i feel so (laughs) bad for this girl she's she's out here doing her best she's like sitting there she's she's truly combating like this awful mental illness and also all of her friends are like she's kind of weird and then she's failing every class like she cannot catch a break yeah but not only is she smart enough to like be hanging out with these kids right because smart kids travel in fucking packs yeah but also smart enough for like when they are having this little meeting with the fbi agents they actively invited her and had her like they i, I don't like I wouldn't say they scripted it. It didn't come off like that in the scene. But they were comfortable letting her, like, give this little, like, speech on how to make a bomb. Mm-hmm. Which means that she's at least decent at chemistry, right? All these other students have confidence in her. She's confident, like, explaining it. So the fact that she's failing her classes, too, is probably almost definitely a result of the mental illness, right? Yeah, I mean, you know especially with something like obsessive compulsive disorder like it's not just going to manifest itself in one way you know like if if it was just you know in the example of your law teacher if it was just him going back and circling back to check that he didn't hit somebody with his car you know that 
that is impactful. That is enough to go seek mental health. Any symptom is enough to seek mental health, but that's probably not the one compulsion that he has. He probably has several. Yes. So, you know, she's com- combating probably multiple compulsions, possibly, like, much more obsessive behavior than we can tell, as evidenced by her apartment, which is scary. Um, yeah, it's like, what is it, the um, psych ward level, like, trope spooky mm-hmm. Like, it's just, like, shorthand in TV and movies to show that someone's fucking insane yeah. is to just come into their apartment and there's, like, red light. There's, like, pictures up on the wall and, like, all the light bulbs are unscrewed and there's, like, there's, like, threads. There's, like, spooky poems like, about death just, like, glued to the wall. That picture from Hieronymus of Bosch is just up there and it doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Yeah, no one ever turns on the overhead light or anything, so it's always, like, in shadow. Yeah, like, uh, there, there's, like, for some reason, like, a painting from, like, like, it, the Italian Renaissance, but it's in, like, an Ikea frame. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, and this, po- again, this poor girl, she, um, her compulsion has shifted somewhat so she's obsessed with the idea that God is wrathful and wants to test people by fire. So, like, literal fire and brimstone. She has, like, a bunch of Bible quotes up on her wall. Um, she She's talking about, like, Kara, which is, like, or Kara, which is, like, the demon um, that, something with the Canaanites, which is the sons of Cain from the Bible, Cain and Abel. Um, so, like, she's, she's clearly not doing well. Um yeah and uh you know so they the fbi goes to this college campus and i think it's really funny when gideon is like can y'all look less like cops and they all just look like cops yeah like it which is always a joke but it's also funny to me because i actually have this in my note to make fun of it because do you think like gideon just i guess didn't mention like hey we're going to a school like they didn't discuss strategy before this he, he, didn't, he wasn't on the plane, like, can you take off your reflective sunglasses and your cop shoes? Yeah, he, he wasn't like, hey, we're going to a campus, and this is, like, someone who we think needs a bunch of attention, so, like, we shouldn't show that we're the FBI just rolling in. And he also, by the way, is screaming <laughs> about this in the middle of the campus. Like, this isn't like they get it off the car and he's having, like, a quiet discussion. Like, he yells, like, hey, don't look like the FBI, and is, like, walking away, and then is yelling, like, we can't look too official, and it's like... Cool. Everybody in, like, a 20-foot radius knows who you are. Yeah, let's talk about mental illness in this, because Clara, like, poor Clara, she's over there with, like, you know, having, she's having, like, suffering from OCD and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, that's, it's not to say that everyone with OCD is, like, just, uh, like, suffering from their disease in the same way that she is. She's an extreme case, and she's a TV case. Um, but, like, you know, she's clearly not doing well. Meanwhile, Gideon... The most rampant case of PTSD in the world. Like, he straight up has a Vietnam flashback at one point. Like, there's he's seeing, like, Agent Orange dropping from the sky. This yeah. is, like, it's not even kind of subtle. Like, it is explicit what it is. He's pulling, like, fire extinguishers and running around, and Derek is like, can you get out of the building? And he's, like, trying to rush into a fire to save the professor, and Derek has to, like, pick him up entirely. And drag him out. Like, bodily. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, the whole time, he's like, I could save him, I can save him. And, and Morgan's like, let it go. He died, he died ten minutes ago. Yeah, he's, like, he's sitting there, like, trying to, trying to beat back a fire with a sport coat. Like, I yeah. don't know what's going on with him. And so, like, it is interesting how they have, like, PTSD, right, as, like, a singular illness for Gideon. But meanwhile, for the unsub in this mm-hmm. case, 
OCD plus some unidentified mental illness that is making her have all of these various delusions, like a delusional complex. Mm-hmm. And it's like inherently tied. So like you have more than one thing going on with the unsub, but the cops can have like one illness that doesn't affect them. A, a single diagnosis. And like, yeah, like let's be honest, like the way that Clara is, like the way that she's behaving and the way that she profiles is much more in line with like a religious schizophrenic person rather than OCD. Yes. OCD and schizophrenia. It would probably be a coherent diagnosis. Yeah, you would, you would, she's also in the, that age range where people most likely develop schizophrenia, which is 17 to 23. Um, yeah, which Agent Reed does not mention for any, for some no, reason. No, they don't, they haven't written that plot yet, I don't think. Yeah. Um, this show feel, feels kind of slapped together for the first season. And you know what? It still fucking slaps. It's so good. I really, I'm watching season one again, and I'm like, why is this so good? Internally, I was like, man, I hope I don't, like, ruin the show for myself watching it multiple times and taking notes and making fun of it. And literally, I love it every rewatch. Like, I'll watch one episode and then rewatch it and take notes during the second time. And I'm like, this lap's so fucking hard. I can't believe I only watched this yesterday. I rewatched every episode for this chunk that we're recording like three or four times. Um, yes. I also, and I want you to know this, I have a podcast, not a podcast, I have a playlist that I'm making right now. And it's called Every Criminal Mind Song in Order. Christ. <laughs> I've put every song... Um, there's, like, no music in season, in episode two. I don't know why. But, like, there's, like, eight songs in episode one and episode three. God. I am also planning, fiendishly, my boss, my supervising attorney, mm-hmm. because I work in a capital appeals clinic, fucking hates this show. Like, <laughs> he dunks on this show constantly. His wife apparently is obsessed with Special Agent Morgan, which who isn't? You can't blame a woman for that. Yeah, you can't. But this is a man who not only is coming from a legal background, he was a social worker and psychologist for a long ass time before he went to law school. And the hatred he has of this show is amazing. So <laughs> I am just like salivating for the moment when I'm alone and like not discussing a super serious like execution date being set for a real human being to be like, so what do you think about Criminal Minds again? Can you tell me like some tips? <laughs> What state are you in Ohio? Is that a one-party consent state? Is that a one-party consent state for audio recording? Uh, a special episode for Patreon subscribers only. God. Um, Our highest tier will be $10,000 a month, and it will be to buy my services. <laughs> okay, so back to, back to, that makes it sound like you're a hooker. They mean legal. God, that's all attorneys are. You know, um, what's the difference between an attorney and a whore? What is it? A whore will stop fucking you when you're dead. <laughs> Okay, that's funny. That is my favorite lawyer joke. <laughs> my dad told it to me when I got accepted into law school. <laughs> okay, back to the plot. Back to the episode. We have too much fun with this show. Okay, um, <laughs> so this show doesn't believe that women can be motivated or indeed enjoy sex until Cat Adams comes around. Yes. And that's like season 11, so like we have a long way to go. <laughs> and also can I, hey can i say what my favorite part about that whole thing is absolutely we finally get a woman motivated by sex and the sexual object that she finds most attractive is dr spencer reed which listen that's valid i'm sorry i know this is a hot take but listen no i think the show acknowledges it because for the first two seasons they're like ah, oh, Derek morgan the sex pot and then by season four they're like no we get it y'all are all horny for this nerd 
We're gonna give him a good haircut, finally. Yeah, Matthew Gray Goobler, the man who plays Dr. Spencer Reed, is, like, an actual underwear model. Which is why- he's also just a weird dude. If you look him up on YouTube, he has, like, personal videos he made, and he's just a fucking freak, and I love him. Hey, can I say, like, the the job I want most in this world is, um, the manager for Matthew Gray Goobler, because that's the most permissive job in the world. It's like, you want to give him a weird fucking haircut and make him a nerd? Go ahead! (laughs) Do whatever you want with him. Yeah. Like, Matthew Gray Goobler, for people who don't know this, that meme of a tweet that says, I have one foot in the darkness and one in a Hello Kitty roller skate is a Matthew Gray Goobler original. (laughs) He keeps, like, his friend's teeth in a box on his mantelpiece. Like, it's, it's, he's the weirdest little man. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with him. Both his character and his, like, entire person. Yeah, so we're obsessed. Um, so... Also, okay, so aside from the fact that they love the fact that women can't be motivated by sex, they love the idea of a serial killer that doesn't use, like, like a knife. They use, like, a bomb or fire. Like, they're not a serial bomber or a serial arsonist. They're a serial killer. They just use fire as a weapon. Uh, that's, like, their I was going to say, because this is, like, the whole plot of episode three as well. Yeah, he's not a, he, he's not a serial killer. He's a bomb. He, like, or, no, he's not a bomber. He's a serial killer that uses bombs. It's, like, a weird distinction, but I get it kind of. Um, yeah. For this girl in particular, they're like, she's not a bomber. She's not a ser- she's not a serial arsonist. She's a serial killer. She just uses road flares attached to a watch <laughs> to kill people. Yeah. Um, my second favorite part of this episode is the entire time, aside from Gideon being insane, he's like yelling at Spencer every three minutes, like, like think outside the box. Um, and he keeps like yeah. telling him that. Like that's a- that's another Criminal Minds is not subtle with like their episode themes. Mm-hmm. And the theme of this episode is, like, think outside the box. So, like, everyone's writing Reed about getting outside of the box. It's obviously hinted that, like, this is why it's a female serial killer, because it's outside the box. Like, and that would also, as we discussed in our first episode, would maybe go towards using it more as a social science and an actual, like, I was going to say an actual science. Social sciences are real sciences. Fucking come at me. As a hard science. Because it's more of an art, right? You're more interpreting it as you would, say, psychology. But Mm -hmm. it's just really wonky. This is why you usually can't use it in trials, because it's not super tested. Um, And it's more of a vibes check than anything specific. So, like, they're telling- they keep telling Spencer Reed, who, by the way, is, like, Gideon's weird pet. Like, (laughs) Gideon looks at this man and he's just like, mmm, poor little meow meow. Yeah, he's literally like, man, this tiny little bitch who just turned 24. Which, I remember first watching this and thinking that was so old and not understanding why they're, like, freaking out that he's 24. And now I'm 23, I'm like, fuck. That's a baby. <laughs> yeah, Christ. Why is he there? What is he doing there? He Doesn't he have school to go to? Yeah, I'm like, hey, doesn't he need, like, his fourth doctorate or whatever the fuck? Which is also mm-hmm. something that I would like to make fun of Spencer Reed for, because he does that classic smart kid thing. Of not wanting to say he's intelligent. This is, like, a theme throughout the entire show. It's, like, people will be like, are you a genius? And he'll be like, well, no. I, you know, genius can't really be quantified. But I have an IQ of 189, a fake fucking number. And I have three PhDs. And I have an, I, you know, a, like, perfect memory. And this, this is, and, like, list off his attributes. Um, as if he's not doing it to fucking flex and say he's smart. And as someone who almost exclusively now hangs out with obnoxious smart people... Um, in law school. You are an obnoxious smart person. Yeah, unfortunately for me. <laughs> unfortunately for me, you get to be smart. <laughs> like, it's absolutely, like, this is something people will absolutely do. They'll be like, well, I don't know if I'm that smart. And you're like, well, what do you, like, 
why are you here? And they're like, well, I got a full ride to every school I've ever applied to without trying. Um, and it's always annoying and people always do it. And it's one of the reasons I love Reed so much. Uh, yeah, no. So, so the whole time Gideon's like, think outside the box. And so Reed is like, what if they're just a serial killer that uses fire? And everyone's like, that's genius. <laughs> Put it on the board. Get it up there. And that's how they're like, well, if it's not an arsonist, then they, they're not motivated by sex. And if they're not motivated by sex, then woman. Yeah. Um, so they eventually find uh, Clara, and this is an interesting part, because Hawks is like, you won't be able to reason with her. She's crazy. Um, yeah. And it's like, well, bud, thanks for being sympathetic. Yeah, he literally said, this is another thing where, like, they try and make it, like, sympathetic while not being sympathetic. Because he says, like, it's a physiological problem. Like, she cannot help it. He's, he literally tells them, don't think of this as, like, a mental disorder. Think of it as a physical disorder. Which, again, is them trying to play it sympathetically. And they also mention, like, Hotch tries to reason with her anyway, and they end up shooting her anyway. Yeah, but he ends up shooting her in the leg. She lives. She's institutionalized, but she lives, which is not the case with most... And I will say, they are a lot more hesitant to kill the women serial killers in the show. Like, if it's a dude, they just light him up and give him seven bullets. If it's a woman, they, like, never shoot her. If it's a woman, if it's a woman, they'll be like, we've brought her dolls with us, and we're now going to gently arrest her outside. Yeah, kill women, too. That's a new hashtag I'm starting. I'm starting hashtag kill women, too. It's equality. But, like, yeah, so, like, they're trying to act sympathetic and, like, make it textually sympathetic, but then they're also showing that, like, she's in active danger and, like, fucking psychotic and refusing to, like, interact with that in an actually sympathetic way, like, yeah. on a subtextual level. Yeah, so Hyde is basically, like, she's crazy, she she won't, she won't listen to reason, you just gotta, sh- you, know, you gotta put her down. And then, Yeah, that's Gideon. And, no, that's what Hotch says, and then... Gideon's like, oh my god, there's a science building, and runs over there, and then Hotch, st- Hotch is the one that gets there first and tries to reason Oh, with yes. Her. He can't reason with her. He ends up shooting her in the leg. She drops the spark. Gideon comes over, kicks the thing away, and the students Yeah, which, safe. like, thank- yeah, thank fucking god Gideon was there, because that thing gets, like, half an inch away from open gasoline. It's, like, about to teeter over, and those students are just screaming the whole time. Yeah. It's the one time that they're not smirking and being dicks. Yeah. Which, you know what- Valid. Let's get into the criminal prosecution of Clara Hayes. The most compelling case I have ever seen for not guilty by reason of insanity. Absolutely. So I can get into that. Also, there's a bunch of various things that we can get into, like, searching-wise. Just know that if you are granted permission by, like, the university to search things, they don't need a warrant, right? If you give them permission, they don't need a fucking warrant. Yeah, because it's not private property. So it's a public university, which makes it public property, and your dorm room is not... So do you have reasonable expectation of privacy in your dorm room? So that depends. So that's something that also can, like, be debated, because that is your personal area, so you would have, like, an expectation of privacy in it. But the school owns it, and the school also has a right to go into it. So personal privacy, this is also we can discuss with, like, the in episode three with the husband and wife. But the expectation of privacy is generally, like, if you would expect someone to do it, then it's reasonable. So the example is, like, police having dogs, like, sniff outside on your front lawn. Like, that is something that, like, they can physically do, right? It's in open air. They can go up on it. But if your neighbor had a dog and they were, like, sniffing in your bushes, you'd think that you'd tell them to get the fuck off your property, right? Because you have a reasonable expectation. So that's, like, the kind of the standard. And so, and in a dorm room, you might have an expectation of privacy. 
depending on the dorm and the school policy, but like my dorm room in undergrad, they had RA search it like every goddamn day. Like actively go and look around your room and like not tell you about it. You would only know because they would move things. And so with that... And I, you went to college in the South, which is a lawless land, truly. A very small, very conservative university in northern Louisiana. Um, it's wild. Yeah, no, the place you went to, there's no, there's, like, here's the thing. Because I went to school in Texas, you went to school in Louisiana, the differences are night and day. Um, you went to a place without laws. I went to a place that had them somewhat. <laughs> yeah, I went to, like, I lived in Texas growing up. And I was like, I hate this. It's a hell state. It's so red. And then I lived in Louisiana for three years. And I was like, shit, Texas is pretty blue, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, there. So dorm rooms get searched. Now, this actually brings me to a point that I want to make as the media specialist for this show. They just straight up put a video of people burning to death on the news in this episode. And that's not the case. I was going to say, yeah, that's something that, like, they would just put, like, this is also something where, like, it's super, like, just watching it in the TV show, I was like, wow, that's really fucked up. Um, like, it's traumatic watching it knowing it's a fake as a TV show, because he's, like, screaming and burning to death. Um, yeah. I would not want to watch this on, like, the 8 a.m. news. <laughs> yeah, no, so here's the thing, the 8 a.m. news would not show it. Um, if, if any news channel did show it, First of all, it would be night. It would be the night news because the, number one, the night shows are generally expected to have a more mature audience. So the ten o'clock show will have a much more mature audience than the morning show. The morning show is supposed to be family friendly for a reason, um, because and there are Supreme Court cases on that. Exactly, it's called Sundown Laws. So you would not be showing that at the ADM news. You would also here's the thing. So j- journalistic ethics are not one-size-fit-all, and they do not, they are not carried across every place. The majority of places that put news out there will follow a set of journalistic ethics laid out by, like, an international journalism committee, and one of the rules for that is that you don't put a dead body on air when there's a reasonable expectation that a child could see it. So, until 10 p.m., you probably wouldn't show that video at all. At 10 p.m., if you showed that video, first of all, you would blur out the faces of the victims. Um, Second of all, you probably wouldn't show the moment they died. And third, you would have to put a graphic content warning ahead of it because you have to give viewers the opportunity to turn away. Now, if it were me in that newsroom deciding on whether or not to show that video, I would not because... Uh, it to me it doesn't have a purpose outside of shocking your viewers and that's not enough reason to put something on the new show and the question is does it do more harm than good by showing it and I you know I'm kind of uh, conservative in that sense and that I don't like putting dead bodies on the air so I would I would not show that most people I know would not show that <laughs> yeah no it's it's graphic content um yeah like I said, just watching it as a TV show was, like, stressing me out, let alone knowing that that was, like, real, like, 18, 19-year-olds. Yeah, so, you know, and, and the example that I would give is, um, you know, we're recording this in October of 2021. So a couple months ago, um, the, you know, the Afghanistan government fell, and there was a video in which a lot of people were trying to hang on to an American airplane as it was taking off, and several fell off and died. Now, um... We didn't show that video where I work because 
it's a graphic video and it's you know people are dying and that is like people from a distance dying like you don't see any like defining details of them like you couldn't be able to identify them if you saw pictures of them it's you know it's not an up close view that is an up close view filmed by someone who died it's different yeah of him screaming and burning to death like for a long time also like let's be clear the fcc dings you if you swear and there's no way in hell i'm burning to death without dropping a couple of choice ones yeah or that i'm like the roommate trying to like beat the fire out which you're in like doused in gasoline so it's not going out that way but like he's freaking out so like i think i think that was like a logical reaction Mm -hmm. and trying to get this fire to go out as your friend is screaming and dying and burning in front of you the smell i can't even imagine and you're still filming it and like well he's not he drops the camera and the camera falls to like get the view yeah there's no way i'm not fucking swearing either like i'm swearing some and i'm just recording a podcast like the no the idea that also hey by the way you can't just drop a camera and it will record everything perfectly yeah especially like i'm assuming it's his phone camera like this is 2003 ish if i remember right and so like i don't remember phone cameras being that good when i was in my teens let alone when i was five Yeah, not good enough to like see that someone turned a doorknob three times yeah, so presumably it's some handheld camera mm-hmm. in, like, shitty 2000. So, but whatever, right? Benefit of the doubt. It's like a flip camera. Yeah, that's another theme of our podcast is they get the benefit of the doubt. So... At least we're consistent. Yeah, so on that theme, there's two, like, searches that I would say are, like, data searches. So the first is when the unsub first calls in and says, like, I'm doing it because of Karen. They think it, she's saying because of Karen. They have, like, voice modification, like, she used voice modification so they couldn't tell who it was, so it was hard to hear. And because she's a woman. Yes, and that would immediately give away the whole twist of the episode. So, mm-hmm. they, like, basically call in every Karen into, like, interview to know if they have enemies or something, like, just to interview them and bitch about it the whole time, which, like, I would be too. Explain your weird boyfriend. Yeah. Your name's Karen, so your life is already pretty shit. Yeah. But, like, so they call them all in. To get those records, the school would probably give it to them. The school is fully cooperating, so, like, they, like, if your school gives them, or a third party, such as your phone company, gives the police information, they don't need a warrant for it. It's the same as if you gave permission because it's a third party doc. It's called the third party doctrine. If a third party has access to your records and they should have access to them, like it is lawful and etc., they can also give permission. So we will assume the school did that. We will also assume the school gave the cops like her grades because they like read, um, get like her school records from Garcia. And again, we will just assume the school emailed those. She's gonna, Garcia is going to be the best like the most fun we'll have on this show because we'll have to be like so this is illegal (laughs) yeah because like they don't do it this surprised me because in later seasons like every five seconds she's like i hacked this yeah she's doing a crime yeah like in these episodes like it's kind of up for a debate because we'll be like we need you to get this and she's like tap 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 i got it and like again we're assuming the best we will assume that like the school gave her access and she doesn't say that she's hacking it. But in later episodes, she will literally say, I hacked this. I broke into it. Or she will, like, hot be like, where did you get this? And she's like, well, you don't want to know. And it's like, well, ma'am, he has to know. <laughs> yeah, like, he's a cop. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be in court. <laughs> so those are two, like, data search things. They also search her off-campus apartment mm-hmm. or possibly on... They say apartment. I assumed off-campus it could be on-campus. Yeah. Um... 
that is pretty much the same standard as your house, so they have to have probable cause to get the warrant. Mm-hmm. They don't mention having it, but as they, like, break in when she's not there, we will assume that they had one. Mm-hmm. Um, their probable cause, I think, might be a little shaky because the only thing they have on her now is that, like, she said sugar three times and was turning her ring and all of the threes, mm-hmm. but, like, judges are wild. We will assume that this was a valid warrant. It's really hard to... Pr- Once they have a mm-hmm. warrant, it is really hard to prove it was invalid because you literally just to have, have to have a reasonable judge yeah. that uses, like, logic or, like, intelligence to do it and isn't just signing off every single warrant, which is really hard to prove in court. Yeah. Okay, so they search her apartment and they find, like, the most serial killer room to ever exist. Yes. And, like, find her through all of that. And so that's more or less all of the, like, legal actions they take. There's nothing, even if they broke into her apartment and didn't have a warrant, they didn't find anything from, they don't get anything from it. So, like, whatever. So this episode didn't have a ton of active illegal actions from the BAU. Congrats, BAU. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a point where, like, cops go and pull fire alarms all over campus instead of sending, like, an emergency alert because it's 2003 and they don't have those apps on your phone like they do now, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. This is fine. So this is where we get into more of the defense-oriented thing and discuss not guilty by reason of insanity. I will just be saying NGRI because it's a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell me, I guess, just break it down for me in the easiest way possible. Why is Clara a candidate for not guilty by reason of insanity. What happens in not guilty by reason of insanity cases kind of varies because there's different standards that are used. It depends, again, on if you're in state court, what state court, what federal court you're in, etc., etc. But in most federal courts, they use what's called the McNaughton standard. This is from a case that one of the defendants was named McNaughton. Um, but pretty much the standard is that the defendant must be under a clear defective reason to not know the nature and quality of the act or to not know that it's wrong due to their mental illness. So you can be totally schizophrenic, 100% just out to fucking lunch. But if you understand that you are murdering a person right now, then you will not be found not guilty by reason of insanity, right? Or if you have schizophrenia and get really pissed at your mom, and might be having a whole delusional complex about how aliens are taking over the world, but you kill your mom because you had a fight and you got pissed at her, NGRI is not going to play into a part. So is this the, so the test that I heard was the policeman at the elbow test, and it's like, if you'd still do it when there was a cop right next to you, yes. like, that's, you, that's like a compulsion you can't fight. That's insane. That is a standard, that's actually a question that, that some psychiatrists else? ask when they're evaluating it. Because that shows, right, that they didn't know the nature and quality of what they were doing, right? You would do it if there was a police officer next to you, you probably wouldn't know it's wrong. Now, they sometimes run into issues with that question because a lot of the defendants will be like, well, if there was a cop there, I wouldn't have had to do it. Or if there was a cop there, I would have done this, right? Like, it's a lot of people sick enough to be doing these types of things or sick enough to be, like, almost committing murder usually aren't well enough to give you, like, a super cohesive answer on what they would do if, like, there was a police officer there, right? They already aren't making a ton of sense necessarily. This is a generalization, but this is, if someone is as psychotic as the unsub in this episode is, they aren't, like, there are usually much more, there are usually signs that, like, her friends would have noticed something was wrong. And in this case, 
in this uh, case, the, the word psychotic is meant to describe a person going through a psychosis, which is developed, like, that would be defined as, like, a person who is not perceiving reality as reality. So, like, because she thinks that God is testing everybody and threes are signs that she needs to burn them alive, that is a psychosis. That is a, you know, we're not saying, like, oh, she's crazy. We're saying, like, she has a psychosis. Yeah, like, when I'm saying delusional complex, that's more or less interchangeable with psychotic and psychosis. Yes. So, fun fact about the insanity defense. First of all, it's not technically a defense. It's what, or... It is. It's what we call an affirmative defense. So you are pleading guilty to doing it, but you're saying you shouldn't be punished in a certain way because of it. Um, in civil cases, an affirmative defense is usually saying that you should get off um, and not be convicted. Insanity defense is similar, right? You're saying, I did it, but I shouldn't be convicted. But since you're pleading in GRI, in almost every jurisdiction, they automatically commit you into a mental asylum. And most people who go in are actually in the asylum longer than they would be for the crime that they committed. Which doesn't really apply here because she murdered two people. Yeah. Um, this would be a very long sentence, and it's a bunch of other things. Basically, they have to prove that you're, one, cured of your mental illness, and two, not a danger to the public anymore to release you. And if your mental illness makes you murder a bunch of people compulsively, that's a really high standard to meet. So she's probably, if you go to a mental asylum, she's probably going to go to one of the highest security ones and probably knock it out so it's the same difference there's also an issue um where people who can meet in GRI please won't necessarily make them because they know that their prison sentence are like well I can go to prison for five years or be committed for god knows how long probably longer I'll just take the prison plea yeah I, plus like you know in terms of this like there are cases in which a person found not competent to stand trial can be like, held in a mental asylum until they are are competent to stand trial, yes. in which case the trial could proceed. So I don't know if that's the case here, because she is working under a mental defect that is intense, but, you know, it's like, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It, like, she could be tried at a later date. Yeah, it's 100% not. And so I'm also really glad that you mentioned competency, because um, that's a totally different legal standard than NGRI. Yeah, so, so what is the difference between incompetent to stand trial and not guilty? So only 1% of defendants actually make an insanity defense, and 80% of those defenses are not contested by the prosecution. However, a majority of those defenses, those people are found um, guilty anyway. They aren't acquitted by NGRI. They are just found straight up guilty and sent to prison. This is mostly due, so this is actually, it actually, okay. it also flips. So jury trials, most people are founded guilty just straight up, but most judge trials, they are found not guilty by reason of insanity because judges tend to understand the actual legal like principle and apply it more than juries who, one, may or may not understand it because it's explained to them through the court, and two, have a lot more prejudice coming in against NGRI pleas. Because, because TV shows like Criminal Minds that make you think that everyone's lying. Yeah, that everyone's lying. It's just like they also may or may not understand that they go to prison or like go to the asylum or not. They're like, well, it's just a get out of jail for free card. Everybody says it's this and this and this. This has also led to some jurisdictions in introducing a defense called guilty but mentally ill, GBMI, which allows, which is pretty much an NGRI plea, but instead of going to the asylum, you just go to prison to receive punishment and get psychiatric treatment at the same time. But you basically get the same treatment as like a prisoner with say severe depression would, which means you basically don't get treatment. Prison psychiatric hospital, like prison psychiatric help, 
are doing their best, but it's usually just not enough. And it's definitely not enough for someone who is going to qualify for NGRI, who is so mentally ill that they are just, like, disconnected from reality. And I mean, like, we have to address the reality of the situation in that most, uh, like, the American prison system is the number one biggest supplier of mental health help in this country. Absolutely. Which is not a good sign. Yeah, it's very bad. That's negative, actually. Um, you know, if you're getting, if you are to the point of incarceration, the likelihood that you'll get actual mental health help is very low. So, but back, I guess back to the original question of incompetent to stand trial versus not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah, so not guilty by reason of insanity. That is what we just explained, right? You yeah. are doing something you don't realize it's wrong. Competency is if you understand what is happening vis-a-vis -vis the actual trial. So again, varying standards can be used, but it is generally speaking, because of your mental illness, you do not understand the job that you do not understand what you're being tried for. You do not understand what you're being tried, um, why you're being tried and you can't assist your attorneys. So some jurisdictions, it's just whether or not you can assist your attorneys. Um, federal courts usually use all three. So if you understand the charges, if you understand what the trial is, and if you can assist your attorneys, and that is because of your mental illness. So it's also usually a pretty low standard. Um, I've worked with clients who have 100% not understood what is going on. Like they do not know what is happening realistically speaking but they can say well that's my defense attorney and that's the prosecutor and you're the judge and be totally convinced that they aren't at trial um but since they don't but say that in they know the working of a courtroom they're competent yeah they are ruled competent which is bad so is claire competent to stand trial do you think i would say probably so we don't get a ton of like her just interacting as like a human being outside because like the only times we really see her speak or when she's trying to burn the kids to death and explaining like the bomb stuff, right? But, mm -hmm. and this is another thing that we can discuss too, since no one else noticed that there was something severely wrong with her, her communication is probably all right. And if we're assuming that her OCD and psychosis is just limited to where she is aware of them or can like, it's only related to the threes, right? She probably understands what an attorney is and she would probably mm -hmm. understand what she would be getting tried for. And to an extent, she does know what she's doing is wrong. Yeah, because she doesn't want to be doing it, and she says that at one point. Yeah, she says, if I don't do this, something terrible will happen. So, like, she's acknowledging that, like, and I think that that quote directly, she says, like, I don't want to do this either. But, like, I mean, she's not, here's the thing. She, is she culpable for her actions? No. She's driven by a compulsion, and she cannot determine that, like, she shouldn't be doing this. She knows that she doesn't want to. She knows that she probably yeah. shouldn't, but she like she doesn't truly know that she shouldn't be doing it so she's not she's not like culpable for her actions but she is competent to stay in trial because from what we can tell she understands like what a police officer is what like what this and that is she's able to participate in society not super well just judged on how her grades have been slipping but like she can participate yes and she would be able to assist her attorneys yeah that's and that's the most important part yes and so also you mentioned um, the compulsion. That's also a different standard that some places use is the irresistible impulse test, which is if you just cannot stop yourself because of your mental illness, like in this case, right? She knows she can't, but she just genuinely, there are police officers pointing guns at her, telling her to stop and she cannot stop. That would also fit. So that also gets into how they prove NGRI. So first the defendant 
would go through a ton of psychological tests. Usually the, the defense and the prosecution both have separate experts examine the defendant, unless it's one of the cases where the prosecution agrees. This would probably be a case where the prosecution agrees, um, just because all of their officers, again, yeah. we will assume they tell the truth in court, would say she's unable to control herself, she would meet the standard. Yeah, she couldn't put the the bomb down even when I was holding a gun at her. She has a, like, her apartment is a nightmare. Yeah. Like, she, she is, she is incompetent, uh, well, not incompetent, she is, uh, clinically insane and she has been so for a while. Yeah. And so, they use that. They also sometimes use, like, witnesses who knew the person. So, like, if you're trying to prove someone is ID, um, so has an intellectual disability, sometimes they'll interview, like, the family and try and get something. Because a lot of, especially higher-functioning people who are borderline ID, you, d- you can't tell. They learn how to mask it. But there might be signs when they were younger that the family just didn't pick up on. Um, for various reasons, it runs in families. It can just be, well, you know, it's just a little quirky. They're just a little slow. Because nobody really wants to admit that their child um, might have a super low IQ. And so you interview the family. You say, well, did they do this? Did they do that? You try and get something from their previous past. And that's pretty much just to prove that they aren't faking it. And we can't speak for her friends. Again, they seem to think she's normal. But we can assume from the serial killer apartment that there were, like, they would use that, obviously. She's probably not faking because look what she did to her apartment. And then if she's at that point, there's probably signs from people who were, if not her friends, her family, or someone caught on at one point that there is something wrong with her. And let's be entirely honest, this is probably a case that does not go in front of, like, a jury. This is probably... Oh, yeah, this is a judge trial. A bench trial. Yeah, this is a bench trial. Like, this is going to be something where a judge goes, no, you need to be, like, put into some kind of mental health place. Yeah, this bitch needs help. Um, that would be in the official judicial Yeah, opinion. that would be my legal opinion. This bitch needs help. So, it would be a pretty quick trial. Um, she wouldn't need to plea. Um, again, it's an affirmative defense, so she would be found guilty. She just wouldn't serve prison time. She would just go to a mental asylum and get help. Yeah. Which is for the best. Yeah, for absolutely for the best. It's best for her. It's best for the fact that she's killing people, etc. There are some there are some unsubs in which we'll be like, fuck this guy, he's awful. Yeah. And there's some unsubs where we're like, this poor motherfucker. Yeah, like this, I'm like, God, this poor, like this poor woman, like she's, yeah, like I have genuine sympathy, like for this character and would have sympathy as like a person. Um, there are some unsubs where I'm like, Dr. Spencer Reed, pull out your gun and waste this bitch. <laughs> I can just kill him. No trial. Yeah. <laughs> um. So this is a point, um, because we missed it in the first episode, I think it would be good to talk about the footpath killer, um, because we yes. dropped up on Clara. So let's talk about the footpath killer for a moment. So this is kind of episode one, but also episode two. It actually starts at episode two. Um, Gideon, while on mental health leave, I guess, from the FBI, arrested a, a second serial killer? Like, I don't know what he was yeah. doing. The timeline on this is super shady. Yeah, all we know is that, like, he has done two things, and one of them is get six agents blown up, and the other is arrest a serial killer. Yeah. Which they treat it like it's the biggest thing in the world, but it's like... It's, it's their like, job? You, like, y'all caught Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Like. Um, it's like you just arrested a serial killer. Like, so they, like, show a scene of this at the very end of the first episode as a cliffhanger. And continue it in the second episode. Okay, so to describe the footpath killer, he is a white man, uh, late 20s, early 30s. 
he uh, kills people in, like, a rural area of, like, I don't even know, Virginia? Like, some kind of, like, up, up their state that you and I don't have experience with. Yeah. Um, Basically the North. Yeah, the profile is he would drive a shitty American-made truck that's in disrepair. Like, Gideon was dunking on this guy's car. Um, yeah. But he also... Gideon just dunks on this dude constantly. Yeah, he's like, he's stupid and a moron, and he has a stutter. And, like, so that's the thing that everybody's like, well, how do you know he has a stutter? And he's like, well, he blitz attacks people, which means he lacks confidence. Uh, blitz attack, by the way, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but um, blitz attack is just an attack that uses incredible force by surprise. So it's like, if a serial killer walks up behind you and hits you on the back of the head with a flashlight, that's a blitz attack. Um, so he, he, like, blitzes people, so he, so he lacks confidence. Uh, he can't charm people, so he's weird. Um, so I think he has a stutter. So, like, Gideon, on vacation, is just at this gas station in the middle of nowhere. And he goes in, and he's like, fill her up. And he walks into the most serial killer gas station in the world. Like, I'm surprised. I was gonna say, you say that, I think I've been in this gas station I'm surprised before. there's not, like, a like a shoeless child running around talking about, Grandpa's not gonna like this. Like, it's it's the most, like, leather-faced gas station I've ever seen. I don't know. And it's got Polaroid pictures on, on the wall. I was gonna say, yeah, the only weird thing about this gas station is the Polaroid pictures of just, like, random people on the ground for some reason. Everything else about this gas station, to me, I was looking at it and I was like, yeah, that's the South. It's, like, wallpapered in pictures of people that are on the floor for some reason. And so Gideon walks into this gas station, sees the, the, the weirdest wallpaper in the world, looks down at the guy, and the guy's like, here's your change and Gideon like looks outside sees the shitty American made truck in disrepair sees that this guy is like a rural working class man that's got no confidence in a stutter and he like you can see in his face like oh no yeah god fucking damn it it's the most it's the most sympathy I ever feel for him as a person because I'm just like he just he didn't want any of this he's <laughs> tired he's very sleepy and you're being very mean to him so the guy pulls like pulls a gun on him essentially and, um, yeah, because Gideon just goes to, like, walk out and not deal with this shit. He's like, I'm out. I don't care. Yeah, but... And this guy pulls a gun on him, and it's like, damn it. <laughs> so he pull- he takes him back into the serial killer gas station, into, like, a back room or something, and is, like, about to shoot this guy in the head with a shotgun. And then Gideon's like, I know why you stutter. And he's like, why? And he's like, because you're a fucking idiot. And then he hits him in the face <laughs> and steals the gun. <laughs> Yeah, because he basically, like, his strategy is not just saying, like, I know why you stutter, but also, like, I can't understand you, and making him stutter more, right? Intentionally being a dick. So he's so busy stuttering, like, and trying to get the words out Mm -hmm. that it makes him pause, and then Gideon has time to, like, grab the gun. Yeah. Um, I, here's my theory about Jason Gideon that, uh, the writers don't want to talk about. I think for the entirety of season one, Gideon is actively suicidal, um yes in a way that like which is another cop show theme yeah like he's not gonna he's not gonna kill himself but he he puts himself into situations where it's very likely that he he will be killed by someone else yes so like i truly this man is not fit to be in the field yeah like no no way shape or form like they sent him on vacation and he still shot a guy like i don't think he needs to be a cop i know And nothing about this, by the way, is, like, particularly illegal. Like, Gideon was on his way out. Yeah. And 
the the judgmental face he made was so severe that this guy felt the need to pull a gun on him and at that point right it's life or death yeah. like shit's happening you're allowed I, I think you're allowed to call someone a moron and hit them in the face if they're pulling a gun on you um, yeah i think you're allowed to be a little mean to them at that point listen i'm 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 not saying everybody should have a gun and be able to shoot anybody who makes a slight disagreement with them but i think if somebody pulls a shotgun on you you should be able to <laughs> you should be yourself. able to be a bitch yeah, I think you're allowed to be a little bit of a bitch. That's a treat. So, yeah. um, Gideon, on uh, on the extreme low of not dying, uh, is like, damn it, so he arrests the guy. Um, footpath killer, y- we can't really judge a lot, because he found the guy by dumb luck, and was lucky enough to be assaulted by him so that he could arrest him. Yeah. Now, like, if I was the attorney, I would find this incredibly fucking sus. It is sus. But, it's very sus. But- yeah, like, you were just vibing and found the suspect. Like, what were you do? Like, why are you there? We don't know why he's there. So maybe in future episodes they'll explain. You, an expert of criminal profiling, just ha- so happened to be in the gas station of the guy you were working on. Yeah, like... And for no reason while you're on vacation. Yeah, you're just chilling. So that would be sus, but as there's no way to, like, prove it, you know, you're kind of fucked up yeah, that way. I mean, Luckily, there's no, there's no cameras in that gas station, I can guarantee it. So it's really he said, he said. Yeah, and another thing that we have is, like, throughout this entire episode, Gideon, like, basically told the entire BAU, like, I told him why I know he stutters. And nobody can figure it out. Like, they're all, like, this especially bothers Elle a lot. Well, because she has so much to prove to herself in other ones. Yeah, she has so much to prove. She's the newest team member. She just got hired. Um, right, so she is trying to find this out desperately. Nobody else knows either. And finally at the last, like, the very final few minutes of the episode, she's like, there's no way, no one knows why people stutter. You were just trying to stall him. And he was like, yeah, good job. Yeah, she was like, she basically went like you bullshitted him. And he was like, like I, like a champ I did. Yeah. <laughs> you and the whole rest of the FBI. Yeah, I'm, hey, my bosses are, like, so happy with me, and I've, I've just lied to them like a little lying liar. Yeah. Also, another fun fact about Elle I just remembered is at the beginning of this episode, as mentioning that she has something to prove, she mentions that she has the highest conviction rate in, like, her old office, which was, like, Seattle. basically SVU, right? Sexual crimes. Yeah. Which is also incredibly fucking sus. Yeah, like, no, I mean, there's a reason they got her on the team, because they're like, ah, oh, this bitch lies. <laughs> Yeah. They're like, mm, you're willing to bend the law, huh? Get over here. Uh-huh. Um, so we will be doing a yearly episode uh, of SVU for either my birthday or Christmas. We have to celebrate somehow. Yeah, they're um, basically the same holiday, because yeah. um, I always give Lee their presents at the same time anyway. Yeah, so you son of a bitch. Anyways, so um, I have a really fun episode for us to do this year. Unfortunately. No, here's the thing. I need you to know that in the first few seasons of SVU, they don't really show any court stuff at the end. Like, by season 13, it's half a, like, court battle episode. And hey, this one's insane. God, here's here's my thing that kills me, like, about myself, is I am unironically obsessed with this TV show, if you couldn't tell two hours yeah, in. unfortunately. Yeah. Um... Every other cop TV show, I think it's because I wasn't, like, marinated in it as a child. 
Mm-hmm. I cannot stand it. I loathe them. They're so bad. When I worked in the prosecutor's office, every goddamn attorney would be like, so did you see the newest episode of SVU? And I'm like, don't you get it? You work in the child crimes division of the DOJ of the prosecutor's office. Why are you what? Don't you get enough of this shit? And they were like, well, it's so good. I'm like, it's not. And then you go to defense attorneys and they're like, why the fuck would I watch that? It's super depressing. <laughs> And that's why I'm going into defense. Well, the reason prosecutors watch it is because they're like, we win, and the defense don't like to watch it because they're like, yeah, every episode there's, like, a person that's clearly suffering by a mental illness, and then they lock them away for 14 years. Yeah, prosecutors like it because it spends the whole episode sucking prosecutors' dicks. Defense attorneys don't like it because it's indoctrinating people to waive their rights, and that makes our jobs super fucking difficult. Yeah, no, um, this episode is the introduction of my favorite of the prosecutors. His name is Raphael Barba, and he um he is the most moral of them which means he has to leave because of he because he breaks the law essentially <laughs> um and god okay well we'll do it as a treat for lee because i love them and that's the only reason because i'm a, I'm a special birthday boy <laughs> <laughs> okay so that is episode two until next week we will see you this has been worth the case see you then